I'm Don Springer, and I've been a member here a long time. And I do want to uh, thank uh, Jacob and the elders for allowing me this privilege, speaking before you. Uh, before I start, though, I, I do want to give you a little background of myself and my wife, family. We've been worshiping Livermore since 1956. Uh, we came here in August, and uh, it was 115 degrees. We came from Carpinteria down near Santa Barbara, the beach, where it's about 70 degrees. So there was a little change there. But we did start attending the church when it was over at the Walnut Street building, a long time ago now. And uh, we were there, but then I got called into the service, and Phil, you talked about the service. I was in the service a couple of years, got called in. I had a little bit of the experiences that he had as well. In any case, we started attending the church here in about September, October, October of that year, and then had to go off for that service. We came back from that in 19, early 1959, and then uh, later on, the church moved here, but only after we built this building. And I still can remember, I could do not much but hammer, okay? There's some of those two by eight, two by six, tongue and groove, boards, if you want to call them boards, that have my nails in them. <laughs> I can remember, it's up on this side. I wasn't too keen about that, I've never been, I'm a physicist by training, so enough said about that. But anyway, and also the building over there, later, after we'd moved in here. And uh, now there's a few people here that were still, were around even then, and uh, you'll remember those. Now, some years later, I had some personal issues that uh, influenced me negatively. And this is sort of a confessional, to be honest. And uh, it threatened my belief in God and Jesus Christ. And it took me some years to come to grips with that. Uh, I had a lot of support from my family, my wife, my boys, and my girl, daughter. And they were all good. I've often told people, if I ever grow up, I'm going to be, be like my sons. Uh, in any case, it took me a long time. I was able to restore my faith. But one of the things that really helped me, and and I, I digress here a little bit, was this book. My daughter and son-in-law gave this to me during that time. And the title is called, I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist. And maybe you've heard of it, maybe you haven't. I've, I've mentioned it in classes I've taught some back by Norman Geisler and Frank Turek. And I like to read the first 
paragraph of the forward, and then we'll get on to our business. And this is, the writer of this is a fellow by the name of Limbaugh. And he says, as one who came to Christ after years of skepticism, I have a particular affection for Christian apologies, apologetics. It is one of my passions. There is an abundance of evidence for the reliability of Scripture, for the authority of the Bible as the inspired Word of God, and that the Bible accurately portrays the historical events it covers, including the earthly life of Jesus Christ. Indeed, powerful and convincing proof exists that Christianity is the one, one true religion that the triumph God, who reveals himself in its pages, is the one and only God of the universe, and that Christ died for our sins that we may live. Proof, this is important, proof, of course, is no substitute for faith. We'll talk about that later. Which is essential to our salvation and for our communion with God. I'd like to start with a prayer. Father in heaven, Lord God, hallowed be your name. Lord, I ask your uh, a blessing on me as I bring a, a few words of uh, hopefully wisdom from the word that uh, you will give me a portion of your Holy Spirit that uh, as, uh, gives me the right words. And uh, Lord, be with all of us. We try and live the life that Jesus wants us to and God wants us to. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, I do have a problem, actually more than one. Those of you who know me know that. Uh, it's my glasses. And I made the print large enough, I thought, but I'm not sure it's large enough. And this reminds me, when I get up in the mornings, I go downstairs and get my coffee almost right away. But before that, I go into my little bathroom area and I wash up my face and look at myself in the mirror and say, oh, what a handsome devil that is. <laughs> and then I go back to my coffee and put my glasses on and go back to the mirror and all realism sets in. <laughs> uh, but in any case, it's, it's one of those things. I don't know whether God really understood that man was going to invent glasses. I know it's been a good thing, but... Anyway, okay, let's get on with this. Fear God versus Lord God. And there's a lot in the scriptures that talk about both of these things. And the concept of fear is mentioned several hundred times in the Bible. So let's talk about fear of God first. 
In the Old Testament, the words used most commonly are yara and chatat. Don't ask me if I have that correct pronunciation. My Hebrew is like this. I'm not a Hebrew or a Greek scholar. But depending on the context, uh, it has different meanings. But in the New Testament, the words used most are phoeo and phobos, and some other derivatives, cognates. But again, depending on the context, these words translate to a number of different words in our language. Fear, honor, fearful, terror, awe, worship, terrified, disheartened, dismayed, tremble, dread. In the new, that's in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, fear, reverence, respect, terror, fearful, disturb, and terrify. So it is tempting to limit our attitude toward God because of some of our culture, I would say, in the last 50 years. Uh, to reverence and awe alone rather than uh, terms like terror and dread. We don't like those terms, do we? Nobody wants to, uh, I'm terrified of God. Mm -mm. Don't like that. We do know that Christ's sacrifice promises to relieve us of the fear of condemnation but not from the accountability to God. And there are scriptures in Paul wrote, Peter wrote, and Timothy all attest to that. Back to the Old Testament. Ecclesiastes 12, 13. Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. You need to pay attention now because I'm going to quiz you in a little bit. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. I think most of us are familiar with that. Proverbs 14, 16, a wise man fears the Lord and shuns evil, but a fool is not, is hot-headed and reckless, etc. Deuteronomy 6, 13, fear the Lord your God, serve him only, and so on. And then even in the New Testament, Philippians 2.12, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, this is Paul talking to the Philippines, Philippians, but in how much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation, how? With fear and trembling. So there's... There's some mention of fear and trembling in the New Testament, although nothing like the Old Testament. So, what about in the Old Testament? Well, the Hebrew term, chesed, refers to covenant love. Another word, ahava, was used to denote human 
love towards a human person, one way or another. Now, in New Testament times, three words were used by the Greeks, the Greek-speaking world, for love. One was eros. You've heard of eros, the god of love in the Greek. Erotic, sexual love. That's what that stood for. There's no use of that word in the New Testament. Absolutely not. But there's lots of words about love in the New Testament. Some of what you saw on the screen before. And if you were here in the last several weeks or longer, Jacob gave a series of, of uh, sermons about love and so on. And they touched on so many aspects of love. And there's only a few of them that I will duplicate. I'm trying to come at this a little differently. But in Matthew 22, 37, it says, love the Lord your God. You remember I said I was going to give you a quiz, so you got to pay attention. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is, like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. That last sentence is an interesting one, and your homework is to go find out what that really means. I'm not going to talk about it today. Now, the same commandment or mention of those commandments are found in Mark 12.30 and Luke uh, chapter 10. And they're basically the same as the Matthew scripture. But Luke has one difference. One difference. It's an important one. He defined who our neighbor was. Neighbor was only mentioned before, but who is our neighbor? And according to one of the parables that Jesus gave in Matthew, our neighbor is one who shows mercy. That is, to a person. The one showing mercy is not the neighbor. The one who that person is showing mercy to is the neighbor. Now, I've often said that, uh, and God, there are scriptures all over the place in the New Testaments, that he's merciful and he's justice. He, he likes justice. But I have to confess, I'd rather have mercy than justice in my particular case. I don't know how you feel about it with your own, but, uh, but here's a quiz. Did you notice the significant difference in the words between the New Testament and the Old Testament, all those scriptures that I read just a little bit ago. Very significant difference. Very. Well, I'll answer that question for you. The Old Testament uses fear God. The New Testament uses love God. In all of those scriptures, they're very similar. So, let's talk about love. What is love, anyway? 
I'm sure if you watch TV, and nobody does much anymore, I'm sure, but uh, there's a, an ad uh, Shriners Children's Hospital puts on, and they ask this question, what is love? And all these children, just don't you adore them? They answer it. And the various answers go from, well, I'm walking, or I can laugh, or I can play the piano with my toes, or I just hugging mom is love. And it breaks your heart almost watching it. These are actually actions of love in practice. They're not really love itself, but they are caused by love. And in a way, these are biblical characteristics of love. But first, let's see what love is not. And if you put the first slide up, uh, young man back there, I don't know if it showed up yet. No. You got to put the whole thing up. <laughs> anyway. There it is. I'm not going to describe all of these things or talk much about these uh, because of time, but love is not any of these things. And you'll find this in 1 Corinthians 13, 13. It's not envious. You ever been envious of somebody? I have, I'm sorry to say. Are you boastful? You boast about your things, even what you do for the church? Are you a proud person? Some, some pride is, I suppose, okay. But it can be taken to a too high of a level. And it, if it interferes with being a good, loving Christian, Similar to self-seeking, I suppose. Are you easily angered? You have a flash temper? I have to confess that my wife was known for that when in her younger days. She wouldn't confess that probably, but uh, her mother told me, so I know. <laughs> now, what about remembering wrongs, which is the same as carrying grudges, right? Now, I have to confess, I have difficulty there. All right? I just have difficulty with that one, of, of being very Christ-like and forgiving everybody for everything and forgetting wrongs. But we have to keep working at it, don't we? And the last one is delighting in evil. I think that's probably self-evident, self-defined. We know pretty much, I think, what evil is. It's defined in many places in the scriptures. But uh, there are certain areas of evil that we might delight in. And we've had uh, people here at this congregation confess about one of those, and won't get into that, but it's, there's, there's others. 
So what, what, is, what is love? What is, you know, we, we said what love is not. Let's, what is love? Because we want to know about that too. So the next slide, and I'm getting a little mixed up here, Mabel, but you got the next slide on? Yeah. Okay. Uh, this, I, I guess I'm okay here. Oh, my memory is not what it used to be. That's not mine, so. <laughs> Easter is only about, what, a month away? I, I, I really loved Easter when I was a kid. And uh, I like it now, too, even more as I get older and my memory gets worse and more difficult. I can, I can now hide my own Easter eggs. So, okay, let's look at what love is. It's patient. And another word for that is long-suffering. And uh, I don't know if Fred Will is here, is he? No. He's back in the foyer, of course. He was one of the smarter ones, I suppose. Uh, he would attest to this. I had a boss at work at the lab when I worked there for about 40 years. And at his retirement party, I got up and said, thank you, Jim, for being long-suffering to Don Springer, because I'm sure I gave him some difficulties. So being patient, it's not necessarily easy either, is it, sometimes? Very easy to lose our patience. I'd say maybe with young children, or really old children, like me, <laughs> and kind, oh boy. And how do you, do, how do you, how do you practice love being these things? Because this is what you want to be, being kind. Opening a door for someone. A simple thing, but that's being kind. If you struggle with this, start small and work up. My advice. You rejoice with truth. You like truth. You don't like liars. You're very protecting of other folks. You are trustful with people. Sometimes that's a difficult one. And we talk about gaining someone's trust, and it's not necessarily a, a moot point or a given. Sometimes we have to work at that and vice versa. Hopeful. We'll mention hope later, but hope is one of the prime things in the scriptures about living the life of Jesus and looking forward to our day at the end. The hope that is in it. Persevering. There's a lot of, a lot of scriptures that 
that mention being exercising perseverance because it builds character, etc., etc. But how can we how can we love each other? How do we love each other? How, how can you love somebody? How do you love me if you do? I hope you do. Well, in John 14, verses 15 through 20, Jesus explains that God, the Holy Spirit, and Jesus Christ are in each other and in us. It's like that. So when you look around, matter of fact, I've mentioned this in, in classes I've taught, that my way of loving Christians or whoever, whomever, not just Christians either, but God has put a portion of his spirit, Holy Spirit, I'm convinced of it, in every one of us. And you need to look and see that in people. And if you do, it's easier to love, in my humble opinion. And one, one way of expressing love, of course, is by doing good. And the scriptures go at length about that, but it, uh, in Galatians 6, 9 through 10, for instance, let us not become weary in doing good. For the, at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people. And this is not confined to so-called Christian era, New Testament times. And you'll see we have the love your neighbor commandment in the New Testament, Matthew and so on. Back in Leviticus 19.18, it says love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. And this is in old covenant days. Also, here's a good one for all of us. Proverbs 10, 12. But love covers all wrongs. Love covers all wrongs. Boy, I am thankful for that. That, that was under the old covenant, remember. So now we still have that in the New Testament. In the scripture reading this morning, if you watched and read that and uh, together, it says the same thing, basically. It says basically the same thing. Uh, This, this reminds me, so, you know, one of the accompanying things about doing good, it says in John, 1 John 3, 17, if anyone has material possessions 
and sees his brother in need, or sister, I'm sure, but has no pity on him or her, how can the love of God be in him or her? That can get you right here if you think about it. Let me tell you a story. There was a man who lived here in Livermore, and one day he was down, this was back when there was a Safeway and a round table pizza next to each other in one of the shopping centers. A few of you may remember that time. Uh, in any case, he went in, I think, Safeway and bought something or other and came back out. And as he came out, he looked to the right and there was a lady at the trash cans of the round table pizza. And she was crying and she was getting used leftover pizza that had been thrown in the trash to eat. The man felt bad for that lady, but he turned and left. He really anguished about that. That man was me. Me. We need to seize our opportunities. And I, I still, as you can realize, I still think about that today. And I often wonder what happened to that lady. She was a middle-aged lady. And the scripture that kind of goes along with that First John 3.17, if anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? I repeat it, parenthesis. And 1 Peter 4.8-10, above all, this is above all, love each other deeply. And here it is, because love covers over a multitude of sins. There's comfort in that one. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each one should use whatever gift he or she has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. In other words, love motivates us to do good. So that's, that really covers that loving God pretty well and contrasting with the fear God. But how can you fear God or love God without a belief in God to start with? If you don't believe, it doesn't matter, does it? And what do you need to have to believe? 
Well, it's actually mentioned in this title of this book, you've got to have faith. Faith comes before belief. And also, in, uh, I may have misquoted the scripture, but in 1 Corinthians 13, 13, there are three elements listed there that uh, remain in the overall process of belief. And you've heard this one before, faith, hope, some translations say charity, same as love. Faith, hope, and love. And in Galatians 5, verse 6, Paul says the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself as love. And then 1 John 4, 18, there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. And that's the last slide, although I doubt if anyone will forget that one. And the bottom line here is that love never fails. Love never fails. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 8. I told Jacob I would keep it within an hour. And I guess I have. And I appreciate your attendance and your uh, attention. I haven't done one like this ever in the church here. I've given speeches, but mostly in the UN or elsewhere. And I guess it's time the praise team should come up. If any of you have any difficulties with living the Christian life, I'm not the best person to consult about that, but I certainly would, would, but there's always, well, you can't do Jacob right now, can we? But there are all these elders that we have, and so, and there's some other guys that used to be elders like Wes, I, I thought I saw Arlie Turner here, there he is, old timers, so at any rate, I thank you. I thank you for this opportunity and privilege.